everyone, welcome to the Found Cause, where we found our cause and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my left is Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And virtually to my front is Theodore, under the PC, person of Christ. All right, today, Theodore Sebastian is just a generic, regular old reaction video, but we are due for an atheist. You know, we actually, before these episodes there, we cook up um, our ideas beforehand and we're like, I don't have any videos to react to. We haven't seen any much provocative, only the good stuff. Theater's like sending us good videos from Jewish people and Sebastian's got some good videos. And I was like, you know what we're due? We're due for our reaction to an atheist, aren't we? So best thing you can do is go onto Google and type in like Christians get owned or Christians debunked. And this is a top video for that exact category. It's called Fact Checking the Bible. It's a TED Talk from a couple years ago by a guy named David Ellis Dickerson, who used to write for um, Bible trivia shows. So we're going to react to it and give you our live reaction, hopefully defending the things that he is quote-unquote fact-checking, because of course here on the Found Cause Podcast, we believe in the inerrancy of the Bible, and so we're not afraid to hear it picked on because it's undoubtedly wrong. Any first comments before we get into it, guys? Let's get ready to rumble. All right, let's do it. TED Talk. Hi. Um, in 2012... I was hired as a writer on a sort of uh, sort of reality TV game show aimed at a conservative Christian audience. I'm going to already pause it and say I'm kind of disappointed that he's not like at a real TED Talk and he's at some like bar that they pretended is a TED Talk, but that's okay. I'll believe him. Called the American Bible Challenge with Jeff Foxworthy. You guys seen that? You guys remember that show? I never watched it, but I did hear of it. No. The American Bible Challenge back in 2012 with Jeff Foxworthy. I remember it. <laughs> I know. <clears throat> Our job was to write exciting, family-friendly questions about the Bible. I'm just going to let you sit with that for a second. Now, I'd been raised a conservative Christian. I had studied the Bible in college, but I'd never worked in TV before. Which, you know, is pretty common. If you hear atheists, usually they're, they call themselves raised in a conservative Christian family. I never know what that really means. Like... Is conservative Christian family just mean like a believing Christian family that actually believes the Bible? Or does conservative mean like like actual independent fundamental Baptists? Or does it mean Republican voting Christians? I'm never sure what exactly they mean because it seems like every atheist comes from a quote-unquote conservative Christian family. And I don't know if that means that they are from a believer. Like do they just mean conservative by believing because they're contrasting it with like the fake liberal Christians that we talk about all the time too? I don't know. And so when I came to our producer with our very first, like, mid-level Bible question, she shook her head and said, that's a who cares question. That was my first lesson. On TV, not all trivia is the same. There are who cares questions, and you don't want those. You need, a, a, a game show succeeds when the person at home can play along. And that means you don't use numbers, those are dead. Uh, you don't use uh, obscure names or obscure places. You have to have something that people can relate to. And uh... now take note, actually, here, I think he's saying something that's important. This goes for preaching and anything else, just general mass communications. When we talk about God's word to atheists, to the public, I think this kind of public um, relations thing holds true. And that is you shouldn't hold to um, and, and talk about and evangelize with things that don't grab people's attention. And I don't mean that you ignore truth. I mean the opposite. I actually mean say something that's true that is offensive usually or something that actually is important to people. And I think at the root of evangelism is getting to something that somebody cares about and using that to pivot into the gospel so that they care about 
people going to hell? Do they care about um, the environment? Do they care about global warming? Do they care about economies of, of the world? Do they care about communism? Do they care about animal rights? Whatever it is, you can use every single one of them to pivot into the gospel because God's word has something to say on everything. Yes, and we have biblical scripture for this before you start shaming Michael for saying something like that. For all our good Bible-believing Christians out there, mm -hmm. Paul did this exact same thing when he was in Athens. When he went up to the Aeropagos to speak in front of all the Athenian philosophers and all the pagans there in Athens, he didn't start by quoting Psalms about Jesus. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Athenians would have said, who the heck is Melchizedek? Who the heck is David? Right. Like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. But rather, he pointed out the shrine to the unknown God, which you can actually find there in Athens, for the record. And that was used to grab the attention. It's like this so-called, in pagan society, so-called God that, no, sorry. They were so, the pagans were so afraid of missing one God. Maybe we, there's a God out there that we haven't found, that we haven't discovered, and we're not honoring properly. So we're going to build this shrine that says, you know, one size fits all type of deal. Yep. In case we have missed someone, so please don't get angry at us. God in the heavens, whoever you are. He used that to grab their attention. Let me tell you about the one true God you've been looking for. And this is the one, Lord Jesus Christ. So he did exactly that. He used something that made sense to them to grab their attention and preach truth. And it worked because many philosophers scoffed at him. Clearly, you know, it had an impact. They're like, oh, what the heck is he talking about? But many people converted. So, yes, there is precedent to this in Scripture if you're looking for it. Speaking of which, a bad example <laughs> of evangelism. My fiancé and I were at the Mall of America a month or Congrats, two ago. Congrats, by the way. Recently fiancéed. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you. Uh, and we were approached by this guy, and he asked um, something like, if we know of Bible study or if we go to a Bible study and then we said oh yeah we do and then he uh, pointed us to some scripture in the Bible that was seemingly negligible and then he was really uh, um, confusing beating around the bush uh, going about things in a roundabout way and obfuscating kind of what he should have been uh, going to weird um, but he never really ever presented any sort of gospel uh we we think he was a jehovah's witnesses as we've talked about uh, okay. a jehovah's witness as we talked about but we still don't know who he is he hasn't contacted us back yet um and <laughs> it was just really a failed attempt for him yeah but uh it to his consideration um he doesn't really have the gospel yeah, and it's good mind, the JWs so. are failing out there, but it can happen for any right. of us, right? We just have an ineffectual call because we're not actually talking about what's important. Now, what I'll, I'll right. caveat all this to say that we're not saying that you should water down the gospel or make it like quote unquote relevant by like adding elements that aren't true. For example, you shouldn't like make it all about you because this is the me generation and therefore we need to make the gospel like super selfish and that like God loves you so much and he's your boyfriend and blah 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 like some churches trying to be relevant do that's not what we're saying we're just saying take the real gospel and highlight the parts that most offend or they don't necessarily need to be um, just provocative right uh, but they need to be provocative enough that somebody cares that they hear why this is an important gospel so we've, we've meandered enough about this but this guy at this TED talk is right in that he he's gonna and i'm hoping his bible facts are provocative enough that they elicit um, true responses 
he's picking provocative facts about the Bible, trying to make them provocative with people at home, i.e. like question whether the Bible is true. Um, but I hope it just re-justifies Christians here that are listening and maybe the ones that listen to um, the Bible Answer Challenge with Jeff Foxworthy. It just reaffirms their faith and that they don't have to be embarrassed about things that the world scoffs at because I'm sure he's going to scoff at them here in this TED Talk. But let him continue. Uh, you wouldn't think this would be a problem because the Bible is very, very large. <laughs> I do it all. <clears throat> um, 60, your average Bible has about 66 books. Your average Bible, I guess he's talking the Catholics have more than 66. Uh, you know, and uh, well over a thousand pages. But if you really look at it with a gimlet eye, you know, with ratings in mind, thinking, is this a who cares question? <laughs> you have to get rid of a surprising amount of it. <laughs> Which, I mean, it's probably true to a certain extent, but I actually think he's he's lying in that I think there's a lot of portions of the Bible that people do care about if you gave it its proper context. For example, a lot of the prophets, you might quote it and somebody be like, I have no idea what that means and therefore it doesn't matter to me. Um, but a good portion of the Bible is not just history that, that people might not care about. A lot of it's facts about the world. So even though the Psalms um, seem flowery to most, um, they're talking about a sovereign God who actually exists, which is offensive to probably the entire audience that's listening to this TED Talk. So it's not a who cares. It's not a um, it's not a question that people don't care about. It is a who cares question when you quote some flowery psalm because it is asserting that there's a living God who is sovereign overall. So I, I think he's wrong uh, and or straight lying about the Bible being irrelevant because it is mostly not obscure history. It has its portions of like how the tabernacle was made and how many people entered Judah in the time. But that's not the majority of it. Mm -hmm. And I actually, and obviously, if you, oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. So I was saying it's really. I've been thinking about this. It actually matters the approach that we have for the scripture when we go in it. Many Americans, and I found at least. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Many Americans go into the Bible with the mindset of what is God telling me. Mm -hmm. Whereas, rather, what I would say is, and I hope you all agree with me here, what does this tell me about God? Mm, right. Because we're starting with God first rather than anything. What is God telling me at this moment? Because, for example, the tabernacle on a surface value, it's not telling us anything to us. Rather, it's saying about the standards of God, what right. he did, his purposes. And yes, in the end, it does apply to us because it points towards the sacrifice of the Messiah. But at, when you read it at its face value on the first, the first pages you read it, you're not going to see that so it matters the mentality that you have. That's why I think it's fascinating that he speaks. I think he came from that background. That's what I'm saying. Right. From what yeah. it's like most Americans grew up with. Again, going back to his, like, I grew up in a conservative family. It sounds like we're just a trashy Christian household. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead, Theodore. Uh, just going to say, um, and if you read enough, so obviously you could get rid of a decent amount if you don't, if you're going, coming from his perspective, but then if you read enough of it, there's also plenty of content for even Hollywood to make a bunch more movies. Right. Um, uh -huh. And they have, because like there's a king becoming animalistic, uh, becoming wild. There's a king being stabbed and his fat swallows the sword. Yeah, dude. Nobody there's makes movies about the judges. Plenty of. <laughs> blood guts and gore if you want it um but it's just history 
Yeah, and you know, I, there seems to be like a hot and cold reaction for most a, most atheists when they misrepresent the Bible. They say it's either like all blood and guts, right? It's just it's a disgusting book that really should be banned in schools because of how ratchet it is. Or it's like super boring, super long, blah, blah, blah. Who would want to read it? Both of which are not proper takes in the Bible. We did most of our shopping in about 14 books. Uh, these were the ones with people we'd actually heard of doing things that made some kind of sense. <laughs> but when you get that, now this is just the interesting part of the Bible. We, haven't, we aren't done yet because now you also have to make sure it's family friendly. <laughs> and if you haven't read the Old Testament lately, <laughs> please. So he's doing the thing, right? Like, oh, the Old Testament's not family friendly. I don't know what like TV would consider family friendly, but I consider the whole Bible technically family friendly, even though the curses, like I think that children should be, if your standards as a parent are that your kid can't read the Bible, I would think your standards are too, you're ungodly high. Like you think that a kid can't hear about um, adultery. I think you are doing your kid a disservice because adultery is a thing that happens. Unless I'm going crazy, wouldn't children have gone to the synagogues back in the day too and right. heard from so the psalms then the imprecatory psalms which are meant to be sung in mm -hmm. the synagogue, the children would have heard that too. So yeah, I think we have very different standards today than for most of human history. And honestly, like is, is some like T V N channel gonna be so upset that you talk about Bathsheba? Probably not, because it's a pretty well known Bible passage and equally all the murders and stuff, like I I once again think T V N would be upset, but what do you think, Theodore? Uh, besides that, yeah. there's also the option. My family had a ch a ch children's Bible, so it has like uh, maybe not all the stories of of the Bible, but a lot of stories of the Bible, and it's still in like the biblical order and whatever. So you still learn all these things and learn about God, learn about people, um, but you don't get all the detailed. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the skimmed down. Usually children's Bibles just get like some random stories. They usually read a lot like um, that that History Channel show, the Bible, where it's like, okay, we'll get Adam and Eve and then Noah and then like Samson and then David and then Daniel and then Jesus. And you're like, okay, a lot was skipped in there. Well, uh, some pretty you think that's fine for stories. a certain age group though? What? Don't you think that's fine for a certain age group though? Like it's, you can maybe start with that, but also memorize some some whole verses with your children uh, and things like that. So they do get more of the Bible, but they don't get all of it at a certain age. Uh, I mean, personally, I think it's kind of lame. Um, the only thing is that, that, like I bought a children's Bible set sitting back in this bookshelf back here, um, but it has like, it's a three volume set with basically every story from the old Testament and every prophet and everything like that. Some, I mean, some prophets, cause like you can't make a comic book children's Bible out of some of the prophets. Cause there's, it's just words like the Proverbs are kind of hard to make comics out of. They're limited. However, um, I think the grit of the Bible is worth talking about, even with a little four-year-old. You don't have to go into like the details of exactly what adultery means, but you can mention the adultery and then equally, all the rest, the killings and everything like that. Like a kid, even at four years old, doesn't really understand what killing is per se, probably, um, and equally what sex is and everything else. But it doesn't mean that you have to ignore that it happened. You just don't necessarily need to like 
zoom into detail. But again, I think if you if your standard is that a kid cannot be exposed to the fact that murders happen and that sex happens, um, I think you are you're you have the wrong standard. In any case, that's not really what this guy is saying. This guy is saying <laughs> that his network was asking if they make it family friendly and they had some standards. But that's really a critique on some Christian standards of what family friendly. Please is. be careful. Because if you're not careful, the second you wander off mainstream stories in the Old Testament, it's like an incest, concubines, genocide drinking game. <laughs> and so, you know, and again, it's really not. There are those incidences in the Bible, and you see them, and you remember them because they're memorable. But as he's blacking out, censoring half the book of the Bible here, half the books of the Bible here, or more, um, the vast majority of these aren't like crazy, quite frankly. But the crazy moments, the ones you remember, so it's not really a drinking game. You'd be wasting your days trying to find the incest. There's just a couple incidences of incest and concubines and whatever else. We couldn't use any of that stuff. In fact, we even had a, a, a word come from on high, from the network, don't even use the word concubine. Because they were terrified, you know, that... that, uh, that See, and I don't, he said it was on ABC, I think. It's this like fake family-friendly stuff that I just find <laughs> not good. They would show something on TV. The kid would turn to his mom and go, Mommy, what's a concubine? And we would get angry letters from conservative Christians furious that we had, you know, exposed their children to the Bible. Right, which is the problem here. So he has a point. <laughs> As a... As an interesting side note, by the way, we also couldn't talk about the crucifixion. Our, our, our producer said, people are eating. It's just a bad network. It was ABC, I friend. But even when we're that far along, there's still one final problem, and that's fact-checking. We have to fact-check every question. It makes sense. And uh, fact-checking raises so many special issues all at once. I'm going to handle it using one simple example you should all be familiar with. The nativity. Now, if you, every Christmas, you see these stories. You already see where this is going, man? I see where it's yeah. going. Classic, like, the four Gospels say different things. So was uh, were the wise men there at the time? Or were the angels there? Like, it's, it's first grade level critique because we know that these stories um, are... are Concurrent. They're not necessarily happening at the same time, but they're all saying different sides of the story. So the wise men, as Matthew says, actually, came after the child was already born for a while. And then equally, um, the angels and the shepherds were there at different times than the wise men. So it's not a factual difference. Equally, the only instances in the Gospels where there's two supposedly slightly different things happening in the same event, so it's not it couldn't be describing different events or similar events is where Jesus goes or Judas goes and kills himself. Um, and one says that he like incidentally died. And one says that he kills himself in a field. Um, but both still get at one truth. And that is that he died. Um, I would say that he killed himself by hanging and that his guts exploded on the field. Um, when he hung himself, that would be the way you combine two different narratives in the Bible. But again, we're used to this. And it's not a fact-checking error. I don't even understand how somebody would have a, a fact about the nativity scene um, that's from the Bible that ends up being not true, right? If somebody said that the wise men were there with the shepherds and the angels and baby Jesus, they would just be wrong. 
that's not they're not right in the gospel of matthew but wrong in the gospel of luke they're just wrong because they did they weren't all there at the same time in both gospels because both are talking about an actual event but we'll see what he has to say stories about like joseph and mary making the trek to bethlehem from nazareth right uh if you pause for a second and think why were they traveling do you remember this luke chapter 2 says that when quirinius was the governor of syria Caesar Augustus sent out a message that all the world should be taxed and, or a census taken, depends on the translation, and that everyone had to travel to their ancestral homeland to be counted. Scholars have a couple questions about this. First, uh, Quirinius wasn't governor of Syria until at least 10 years after this. It's not true, actually. There's two Quiriniuses, and he was governor during that time, unless he has some other one. I and mean, there's two Quiriniuses, pretty famous objection, pretty famously debunked, um, so nice try, Baldy. Uh, there is no record that Caesar Augustus ever released an edict like this. We also don't have any records of the actual Roman numbers from the census, but we do know that the Romans took censuses, and even though we don't have their censuses, especially early on, it does not mean that we contest they took censuses. We know that they had a history of doing this, so. If anything, shouldn't Argument they be glad that we have this example of a census actually taking <laughs> right, place? Right, yeah. Uh, here's a historical record attesting to this edict happening. But most importantly, and most significantly, there's never been a census that ridiculous. <laughs> right? Like, because why in the world would you have a census that required people to go back to their ancestral homeland when the whole point of a census is to find out where you are now so we can get your tax money? It's not, I don't know, like, did he, did he, did he come up with this in himself or did he consult the scholars? I don't really respect most of the scholars in this area, especially the anti-Christian scholars, because they're just that, they're anti-Christian, so they, they're very biased against Christians, um, and so anything related to Christians, they put their anti-Christian goggles on, but um, I think the, the answer here is obvious, and I'm not some trained scholar either, and that is that they take an ethnic census, because they want to see what their ethnic makeup is, because they're Roman, the Roman Empire is very concerned about ethnic harmony, considering they have so many ethnicities. So they're taking a, a tribal census of the lands of Judah. Totally normal to have them go back to their tribal ancestral homes. It's not like way, way back, you know, like David's or Joseph's family is from the line of David in Bethlehem, and that's why they go back to Bethlehem. It's not like it's um, super far back. It's pretty reasonable. Plus, it's all in the same region, so they're not going that far. Mm-hmm. Like, I, if you go back one generation for me, where's my ancestral homeland? Do I go back to Detroit or do I go to a Toronto? So uh, it, it has literally never made sense. But what's interesting is we see that. That is a very American approach to ethnicity, I have to say, friends. Right. Because even in Peru, it is extremely important to know who you, who you are, who's your family, where you come from. It was even more important in the ancient world. So... I would say it's a little bit of an anachronism to say, say, well, I don't even know who my family is. Well, I, I know you a, don't. Yeah, you'd have a problem in the Roman Empire, buddy, David. Yeah, you got to, you got to know, you got to know that, and it was extremely important. So, I, I, I don't have any. Uh, yeah, I would just, I will stop at that. Well, it's dumb. I guess he's, uh, he's doing like he did for ABC and writing to the least common denominator in his audience that story every year and it, we don't we just kind of swallow it we're used to it we don't think about it the only people who get bothered by it are scholars and people who have to write quiz show questions <laughs> because every single detail matters that's what we're asking about is that ed from 90 day fiance back there dang 
And oh, and there's an additional uh, uh, little twist, by the way, that this is in the Gospel of Luke, in the Gospel of Matthew, telling the same story. Uh, I I told you that uh, Joseph and Mary uh, start in uh, Nazareth and go to Bethlehem. In the book of Matthew, Joseph and Mary start in Bethlehem and wind up in Nazareth. But not in the same order. Oh my gosh! It, I mean, it's just dishonesty again. I don't. I don't believe if he actually read the Bible. I don't believe that he is telling the truth here. That he's honestly presenting the Bible because they do start in Bethlehem in Matthew. But that's presumably because the events of Luke that they came from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and in the the book of Matthew they start in Bethlehem because it's it's starting where he he gives birth to Jesus. They retreat into Egypt fleeing Herod and then they come back and they settle in Nazareth it doesn't say why except that he flees to Galilee because he doesn't want to go to Jerusalem because um, Herod's son is now ruling and he doesn't want the same edict to happen to his um, with his son and so he goes back presumably to a place that he knew Nazareth which Luke tells us is his actual hometown so all of it's completely consistent it's just a different vision of what happened from Matthew and Luke so again if you were actually fact like if the network said fact checked all this I think all that means is make sure it's consistent with the Bible, that your answers are correct to the Bible. Not do scholars agree with this, like you're just an angry old man. You can make those two accounts sort of coincide, but not without a lot of narrative twisting. So we knew all this, but we can't say this to our audience, right? Our audience believes that the Bible is true and honest and straightforward and can be trusted. And we were supplying a need. I grew up a fundamentalist Christian. I know what it's like to feel like all of pop culture is arrayed against you in a hostile manner. And to see yourself just once being the hero of a show, you know, where you're represented and you're you know, smart for knowing the Bible, I didn't want to like walk in there and knock over stuff, so we had to keep quiet. It's a challenge. So. Can you imagine if they did like a, like a Roman history quiz show for whatever reason, and you had just like one of those like TikTok Roman Empire deniers who doesn't believe that the Roman Empire ever existed, and he's like, "Oh gosh, I really I was hired to write questions about the Roman Empire and quiz show about the Roman Empire, but I hate Rome and it never existed. I'll just have to keep quiet." Of course, you were hired to make write questions about the Roman Empire. Like, what kind of weird hatred of Christianity? I, Clearly, the man's an atheist. He probably denies hating God, because most people do, because it sounds so wrong and emotional. But he clearly hates God, not just like in the, the subconscious sense either, not just in the Romans 1 sense, but he hates God. Like he wanted to be pointing out things against Christianity when he was hired to do a Christian trivia show, right? And he had to scarf that, that impetus out of his soul down. Um, so not a good showing. <laughs> we lied. <clears throat> We, we soft-pedaled the boring stuff. We, uh, we talked around the stuff that was not family-friendly. And we definitely, definitely did not talk about the contradictions in Scripture. Uh, and in the process, we sold to our Christian market the kind of wholesome, unified, you know, uh, exciting Bible that they actually believe in. It's not lying, one. And two, I think you actually told the truth, incidentally. You got rid of your own lies. And not the kind of messy, convoluted, fascinating Bible we actually have. Now, it worked. Uh, we went three seasons. The, the debut of our show had the highest ratings in the history of the Game Show Network. Uh, we, uh, we got nominated for two Emmys. Uh, two of our seasons are now on Netflix, last I checked. 
Uh, and I'm really, really proud of the work we did. I'm very, very glad we made all these people happy. But I gotta say, the experience has taught me that the evangelical Christian approach uh, to the Bible is very similar to America's approach in general to reality TV. <laughs> Which is to say, you have to accept its stories with a kind of willing, almost loving suspension of disbelief. Because if you actually saw the whole thing raw and uncut, you would never trust it blindly again. Says what? That you don't believe that the Romans would have taken a census? Honestly, I haven't even heard such like a weak sauce atheist attack in a while. Usually mm -hmm. they come at something a little more sensitive than like, oh, I think it's unrealistic that Rome would have taken a census. You mean the word census coming from Latin, like meaning what Romans did? I, I, I don't think that one's hard to swallow, buddy. What, did el what else did he even say? That, that <laughs> I don't know. I'm surprised we're at, even at the end of the video, and I'm surprised Ted Talks even allowed this. I don't know how long ago this was, but this does seem like a TEDx or a TEDx minus <laughs> something talk. Yeah, I mean, it's but, from 2018, so it's not super long ago, but not super oh, really? recent. Okay, well, I'll let him finish out, but pretty weak sauce attack, and then he just concludes that the Bible's not trustworthy. And the problem is, and the reason we even react to something like this, is that people eat this up, especially non-believers, but also those wavering in the faith. They just assume this guy knows what he's talking about, that there is this huge plethora of things that are against the Bible that are just behind his words. And so if, if you did take the time to look, you'd find all this stuff, and so you might as well give up now, and it's too hard to look at it all up anyways. So just inherently believe that the Bible is indefensible because all these people are giggling, and he's giggling that, that the fools that would watch um, the game show network think that the Bible is true. Uh, but of course, it's not us. The scholars say it's not. It, and he doesn't one of need the videos, treatise, but he doesn't oh. even point out what the scholars say. They, he just says their conclusions, which is that they don't believe in the Bible. One of the videos that I watched recently, I heard the phrase, uh, like, or the question, "What is worse, ignorance or apathy?" Um, I think it's part of a some sort of joke, but but this is the this is encouraging like the ignorance but because it's encouraging people's um denial of the bible so as it con continues to encourage their uh ignorance of the bible um they don't want to look into the bible more and then they grow apathetic of even ever thinking of looking into the bible so it's just a contentless yeah, and, and again, time. I think the reason where it's good to react to this kind of thing is just so that we can examine it critically because this is the kind of thing that doesn't get examined critically because it's not a huge debate, well-thought-out, Matt Delhunt attack on the Bible. Um, it's just a, a snide shot across the brow, but it is a 7-minute and 40-second decided attack on Christianity that aired on a TED Talk that he put together on purpose. So it is it is a decided attack against Christianity, but it's flippantly couched as comedy. And we thought about doing like maybe a reaction to George Carlin and some other people, and they're just so vulgar that we're not. But <laughs> comedy is often a vehicle for atheism because a lot of atheists are, are edgy and comedians are edgy, so a good combo there. Um, but atheist comedians also attack Christianity all the time pretty baselessly and people get convinced by that because everybody's laughing and they're like well these people are laughing it was a funny joke and so therefore um, they must be right just because I laughed at it they must be right which laughter is a very 
powerful tool, I think, to getting people to agree with you on big issues. And that's why there's such a war in our, our culture now for late night comedy and late night comedy pretty much neutered by um, leftist co- politics because they knew it was a useful tool for leftist policy and convinced a lot of people of leftist policy, especially I remember during the Clinton years and the Bush years, um, late night comedy was a huge force for um convincing people of politics and it has the same power because politics are religion and religion is politics I mean, it has the exact same power as uh as as with christianity so it is a powerful tool for promoting either christianity or promoting atheism against christianity and so in this case here's kind of like a weak scholar attack a weak comedian uh weekly attacking christianity but it's a decided seven minute and 40 second attack nonetheless aired again on tv with ted and uh, i think it's embarrassing how weak it is and we have to be careful not to let these kind of things um erode our psyche and we have to be careful to point out that this is actually garbage and for all the high fluting atheists especially college students and others who who have seen something like this and they subconsciously file subconsciously file it away and think oh i heard a smart person say that christianity was bad now i'm well read because i heard from a smart person that said christianity was dumb and therefore i've done my research I've, I've, and then, then people boast and I've, I've done this kind of thing myself. So I know exactly what happens. You're in a conversation. Somebody asks, well, have you done the research to see if the Bible is true or not? And then you're like, I've done lots of research. And it's really, you've watched like this guy and you've seen like a Dave Chappelle special. And that's what makes you think you're qualified to say the Bible is uh, inaccurate and has all these contradictions because you heard like two bald comedians tell you that it was wrong. And you really haven't done research, nor are these guys good sources at all. So it's pretty embarrassing. Do you have any last words? Sebastian, before I was, guy go. Yes, I was mostly triggered not by the actual stuff he was saying, but by the fact like the the audience that he had doing tough show, like all those pietists. Oh my goodness, that like, you can't say the word concubine, you can't talk about a uh, killing or crucifixion. I'm like, what are you doing? I, as a teacher in my church, I want to bring up those passages to address them and work through them, simply for the purpose of actual like honesty. Mm-hmm. Like it's there. You, you think it's dishonest and a big disservice and i blame all the christians from actually i can't really blame them you know what they didn't know any better they didn't know any better i understand i understand well and frankly the producers the publishers of that show probably were atheists who were just <laughs> assuming what christian audiences is like could be real christians but i'd imagine honestly they're probably producers that are atheists themselves and no but the audience think, was calling the, the producer right saying, yeah you're right there might have been that it's like how dare you talk about concubines and well it's well it's, it happened in the bible what I've encountered is many atheists. He didn't really bring. I was hoping he would bring this stuff up, but all the immorality in the Bible. If you look at it closely, people assume, and I used to assume this as an atheist myself, that all this evil that happens in the Bible, God is actually behind it and approves of it. But if you look at it closely, in Judges, the book of Judges that comes to mind, especially mm-hmm. when Jethro says, "God, let me win and I'll sacrifice the first thing I see when I get back." God is nowhere in the picture. Like he is just he's probably like face plant. Goodness gracious. Like why would you say something so stupid? Mm-hmm. Or when the priest cuts up his concubine, an actual concubine, there you go, and sends the the body parts all across Israel. Does God approve of that? Of that? He definitely does not. In fact, the, the book ends everyone did as they saw fit. That's a negative statement for the record. It's right. saying like all these clowns that were running around in Israel, they didn't know any better. Again, there you come with a certain mentality thinking all these things are terrible and god is truly behind all of this he's the one who's happy clapping like in the background 
yay, chop up the concubines, like stuff like that. But if you really look at it, it's not the case. It's actually showing the depravity of humans, which if you're coming from a I hate God perspective, you're right. not going to focus so much on how bad humans are. More like pointing fingers at the other guy across. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, a, and, and just because the Bible has all this stuff, I just want to reiterate what you're saying, Sebastian. It's, it's not condoning it. Just like when you read a history book, it's not condoning Nazism because it talks about World War II. Exactly. And for people to say, oh my gosh, can you believe that this history book talks about Nazis? Like that, that, that people who believe in history support genocide? And you'd be like, no, I believe in history and I believe this book is true. Just because it talks about genocide doesn't mean it believes in genocide, that it supports genocide. Theodore, did you have any last closing comments before we let this guy go? Uh, I just wanted to reemphasize one thing that you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, that some people can hear someone who they think is smart and then think they don't need to look into anything else further, but they can just repeat what uh, the person said who they think is smart. Mm-hmm. But I just want to reiterate that there are smart people, academically smart people on both sides. Um, John Lennox and many others. And then I have this one book at home, Chance and the Sovereignty of God by... Vern S. Poitras, and he has a PhD from Harvard University, a THD from Stellenbosch University, and uh, blah, 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 has earned six academic degrees and is author of numerous books, Redeeming Science, Redeeming Sociology, Logic, etc. Um, and he's a Christian. So, again, it just, you can't really put your eternity in the hands of one human that you listen to. Well, and, and ultimately we know enough. we listen to sources we like. Proverbs says as much, and we do it as Christians too. It's not like we're immune to listening to sources that tickle our ears, pastors that say things that we agree with, and people, speakers, and comedians that say things that we agree with. And so it's not surprising that that people who hate God, because we know from Romans 1, as believing Christians, we believe the Bible, and Romans 1 says that those who are not with God, hate God, that there's no neutral ground, that those who are not with God hate God. And therefore, when they hear something pleasing to their ears, even if it's not um, well-backed or authoritative, they like it. And so that's why these comedians do well, even though they're not particularly comedic or their points aren't true, uh, because it tickles people's ears, they they do tend to like it generally. Um, And Christians have the same kind of thing, right? You listen to a watered-down version of Bible trivia, and you believe the Bible is good, and therefore you like it, even if it's actually a genuinely bad TV show, uh, much like some of those other failed attempts at Christian TV shows. Um, I think we have to be careful of that as Christians, because we don't want to condone terrible things just because they happen to be, like, pasted on with the Bible. And then equally, atheists need to watch out, because like you said, Theodore, you cannot risk eternity on your implicit biases. But that is why we have found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are not a Christian at home, we would highly call you to repent, to turn away from sin, to turn to the only saving Lord Jesus Christ. Atheism cannot save you. It means nothing for you whether you live or die in atheism. But we tell you at home that if you are not dying in Christ, you are dying outside of Christ. And if you die outside of Christ, you are dying in sin to be judged forever in hell by the living God. Every one of us is sinners that deserves hell. The only defense against hell is the blood of Jesus Christ who pays for our sins. So turn to Jesus Christ. It will cost you everything your whole life, but you will gain everything that's his, which is eternal life and joy forever. That is why we found our cause. I've been Michael, the man behind the machine. To my left has been Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And virtually in front of has been 
Theodore under the PC. Thanks for listening. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you can go to foundcause.podnewy.com and download them all for your listening pleasure. That is audio only, though. If you want to see our beautiful faces, you can go to youtube.com and search Found Cause and or go to facebook.com forward slash Found Cause. We're also on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else you might find your podcast. Until next time, we talk about something completely different. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Goodbye.